I want to introduce you to another friend of mine, though. This lady's name is Bojana Danilovich. Now, I don't actually know her, um, but it makes the story more personal. Um, this lady, what's, what, what do you see that's interesting about what's, what's going on with her on the screen here? What's, what's unique? Yeah, very good, very good. The newspaper she's reading is, is upside down. And the reason that it's upside down is because Bojana has a very unique um, case of what we call spatial orientation phenomenon. It's a very fancy way of saying Bojana sees the world upside down. Everything that you and I look at, she sees the exact same thing, ex- except that it's flipped on its head. And this creates, as you can imagine, a very interesting life for Bojana. When she's at work, she has this computer she works on. The screen, the monitor is just flipped upside down. You can see the keyboard that she's showing us. She has to type on upside down. Texting, looks like this is a little dated of an article because she's still using T9. But um, the, uh, she texts. Everything is upside down in her life. When her family sits to watch TV, they've got one TV for the family, and then she's got one right next to it that they've turned on its head. And you can imagine, she simply said, I was born this way, and it's how I see the world. Now imagine, I mean, imagine how radically different your life would be if everything in the world was upside down from the way everybody else sees it and the way that everybody functions with the world. But as I was reading this article, I was thinking, you know, this is, this is actually what we are called to as believers as well. That the, the way that we are called to, to see the world should be the exact opposite, should be upside down from the way that the rest of the world sees it. The way that we see people, the way that we see the priorities in our life, the way that we see the very purpose of why we breathe and why we exist is upside down from what the world sees in their priorities and in their purpose and in people. And this, this next three weeks, we're going to be doing a series on Advent. As, as Lisa mentioned, this word Advent just simply means coming or arrival. And we're going to celebrate this month the coming of our Savior. Um, and, and what we're going to do, I, I want to call this, this sermon series, um, I See Things Upside Down. Because I believe that we're called, the vision we're called to have in this world is the opposite of the world. The world's economics are the opposite of kingdom economics. The last will be first. The least will be the greatest. And we're going to see, as as Lisa mentions, we get into this, this Christmas story. It is not what you or I would ever have written or how we would have dreamed it to be. And so this morning, the first thing we're going to look at is the prophecies of Scripture that looked forward to this Advent, to the coming of our Savior. And the first thing that we're going to see that you and I need flipped upside down are our expectations. By nature, we have great expectations of things to come in our lives. It's in our nature We do this every day. We have these expectations of of what's to come. Always pursuing the next thing, looking to what is coming tomorrow. And even on our good days, we're haunted by what could be coming the next day. You know, last month I was doing my student teaching. It was the main reason why I didn't have any pulpit time. And the whole month, like, I'm just looking forward to being done with student teaching, right? Like, I can't wait until the end of the month, and I'm done, you know, teaching these kids, answering random questions, trying to, you know, it's herding cats is what 
teaching fifth graders is like. And I'm like, I can't wait to be done with that. Mostly I was looking forward to that glorious four-day weekend from the Lord called Thanksgiving break, where we can do nothing but lay around, eat copious amounts of food, and watch sports on television. And I'm looking forward to that day. Man, it's going to be so awesome. But you know what happened? The weekend ended, and it was on to the next thing. On to the next thing to look forward. Man, I can't wait until that's done. Man, I can't wait until I'm finished with this, or I can't wait until that happens. We're always looking forward. And a lot of times, our expectations are much bigger. The stakes are much bigger than a Thanksgiving break. Something in the future is driving us, an anticipation within us. But here's the problem. Those expectations we have often do not become reality. And I've heard it said that most, and I think you could argue all, frustration in our lives is born out of unmet expectations. And what I mean by that is is we we expect something to happen. But that, that thing that we expected, it didn't come to pass. It didn't happen the way we had it in our minds and so then we, come, we become frustrated. We just did a month-long series as Pastor Larry took us through marriage. Most of the frustration and the bitterness and the anger that comes out of marriage comes from unmet expectations. I thought it was going to be like this. I thought my spouse was going to do that. Or this is how it was going to go. That's what they told me on the romantic comedies. And then it doesn't become like that in our reality. And it leads to frustration. It leads to bitterness. It leads to anger. It leads to disappointment and despair. And this Christmas season that we're about to enter is built on this expectation. I mean, I love Christmas as much as the next guy, right? I'm not, I'm not decorating yet, just because I don't, I, don't, I don't know, I'm cheap and I don't care and whatever. But, but for the most part, I love Christmas. I love, I love this season. But, but I believe that our culture kind of builds this hyper-reality into this Christmas season. Every commercial, every, every TV special is promising us a reality that's not a reality. All you need is the perfect gift and your life will be right. But here's the truth. Every kiss does not begin with K. It's a lie, right? It's a lie. And that the predominant message that this season that gives us is, 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 is a lie. We need to flip Christmas upside down. And, and what, we, what we see is, is Hollywood, you know, our, our, our hallmark culture tells us you need to have this, this perfect moment. That yes, there will be conflicts. You know, you watch the TV Christmas special. There's conflicts at the beginning. But by the end, everyone comes together. There's lots of hugging. The turkey comes out of the oven perfectly on its own every time. Right? You don't even have to carve it. It just kind of falls off onto your plate. We're gathering at a fireplace. Everyone's wearing sweaters. Life is good. And we see, I did a quick Google image search of Christmas Day. These are the things that came up. Let me know if this is what your household looks like on Christmas Day. Is this, is this about right? Okay, the, look at these guys. You, you can't even look right at this guy's teeth. You'll blind yourself, right? It's just this beautiful thing where everyone's just laughing, getting along. How about this one? Okay, Santa's little helpers all got together here, had a Christmas morning. Everyone's just, everyone's great. Is this what your Christmas morning looks like? Right? Everyone's in matching outfits. 
Um, we all are just sitting on each other's laps, taking turns, opening for No, Daddy, it's your turn to open a gift, right? It's just better to give than receive, right? Like, th- and then this one is, is my favorite. I, I, there's no words for what's going on here. I don't know. Other than I really want to be adopted into that family. But there's this idea that the stuff, that the stuffing, that the feeling good is what this season's all about. And we're being sold a lie. So so the question is, what are we as Christians really looking forward to? What is it that we are celebrating? And and these three weeks, what I want to do is look back and I want us to marvel at what you and I have really been called to anticipate. And then that will let us look forward to the future and redeem, buy back anticipation into our lives And I believe if we're anticipating the right thing, expecting the right thing that is going to transform the way we live, it's going to grant us a seriousness over the sin in our lives and the hope in our Savior, and it'll give us a passion for following him rightly. So the first thing I think we need to all kind of agree on, let's all get on the same page here, something is broken. Something in our world is wrong. It's not as it should be. And that came from our rebellion against our God. The thing that's broken in this world is in us. And what's broken is our relationship with our maker. I think you'd have to be a blind fool to argue against the fact that something is wrong and broken in this world. And, and, and what that does, the brokenness in man then overflows into our world systems. Our businesses are broken. Our government is broken. Our families are broken. But it's not because we just need a new president. It's not because we need a new CEO of the business. The problem is that there are people in those businesses and in those governments and in those homes. And it's people that are broken. But... In the midst of our rebellion, in the midst of our brokenness, God decided not to destroy us, but to intervene for our good and for his glory. And from day one, at the beginning, in the garden, when Adam and Eve rebelled, he implements his plan. In fact, the moment that Adam and Eve decide that they make better gods than God, when they choose to depend on themselves and, and, instead of their maker, God lays out this rescue plan. So we're going to look at prophecy. We're going to start back at the beginning. Okay, let's go on a little trip through the scriptures. The first one we're going to look at is Genesis chapter 3. Three chapters in, we find the proto-evangelium, which is really just a fancy way of saying, I paid a lot for seminary. All this means is first gospel. That's all it means. Prototype. It's the first thing. It's the first good news. We find three chapters into scripture, the first time that the gospel of a Messiah, of a deliverer is mentioned. And this is incredible. Look at what it says. This is God. Remember, he curses Eve. Um, he curses Adam. And then he turns to the serpent, Satan, who, who tempted them in the first place. And he says, I will put enmity, which is just a fancy word for strife, bad blood, between you and the woman, talking about Eve, and between your offspring and hers. One that will come from Mary, or I'm sorry, one that will come from Eve is going to be at, at enmity with 
Satan and what comes from him, sin and death. He, this one that comes from the woman, will crush your Satan's head, and you, Satan, will strike his heel. Now, I'm no doctor, but if I'm given the choice between a stricken heel and a crushed head, I'm going heel every time, right? And what happens here, here there is no mention of a cross. There's no mention of who, no mention of when, exactly what this looks like. All we know is that someone's going to come and they're going to crush Satan and sin and death. And it's amazing that while the, the fruit is still on the lips of Adam and Eve, God steps in and he says, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to make this right. I'm going to win you back. And then we move forward through scripture and, and, and the vision becomes clear. Um, this man we're going to call for right now the head crusher. Sounds like a WWF character, right? So this head crusher's coming. He's going to make, he's going to, he's going to defeat sin. He's going to defeat Satan. And then nine chapters later in, in, in Genesis 12, we see God talking to Abraham and he reveals a little bit more of his plan. He says to Abraham, I want you to get up and I want you to go to this new land that I'm going to promise you. And if you obey me, if you walk forward by faith, here's what you're going to get. And he says, Abraham, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Wouldn't that be great if God said that to you? He has. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Here comes a clearer idea of who this head crusher is going to be. He's going to come from the line of Abraham, which we know becomes the nation of Israel. So the thing that we see in this prophecy is that the head crusher is going to be of Jewish descent. This man that's going to be born of the woman is going to be coming from the line of Israel. And the incredible thing about this is as this head crusher that's going to come, he is going to be the blesser of all families. This isn't just going to be a promise to the people of Israel. Through the line of Israel, this man is going to come and he is going to bless every single human being on the planet. An incredible thing to look forward to. And then we move a little bit further. We go into Isaiah chapter 7. We see a clearer picture of who this man will be. Chapter 7, verse 14, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Which, of course, means God is with us. Now, we see here that this person, this, this man is going to be born of a virgin. Now, all birth, you know, I just relived this yesterday, all birth is a miracle of life. In that sense, it really is. However, biologically, we're not like, what? Like, what happened? You know, like, how did this baby get here? Janelle and Ryan are not looking at each other this morning, like, shrugging, like, I don't know what happened. I have no idea. Just this baby just showed up. I don't know what the process was. And someday they're going to bounce that little baby on their knee and tell them, this is how you came into the world. They'll probably spare some of the details until the baby's older. Um, but, but we know we know how babies are born. But this miracle in particular is miraculous because this woman had, that is going to have birth has never been with a man. Now, if that was the case with Janelle and Ryan, they would be looking at each other like, what happened? This baby is going to be born by the Holy Spirit, not by human means of birth. And then the next thing it says in verse 15, he will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. The noteworthy thing about this is, is this deliverer 
is going to be born into poverty. See, curds and honey was, was the diet of a peasant. And when we talk about needing to see things upside down, like Lisa said, the, the nation of Israel was expecting a certain kind of king. And if we would paint the picture for what we thought things would look like, we would put this king coming to earth in a palace with a silver spoon dangling in his mouth. But that's, that's not how this savior, this deliverer is going to be born. And in fact, the baby is, it was, the deliverer is born in Bethlehem, but he's raised in Nazareth. This town of Nazareth was like the size, it was like 200 people, maybe. Just this insignificant little town. I mean, Nikiski, to put that in perspective, has 4,000 people. And no one would expect a savior coming from Nikiski, right? <laughs> and, and so, so this baby, this, this baby is born not, this, this head crusher, this blesser of all families, this, this great deliverer is born into poverty in some podunk little town in the middle of nowhere. Insignificant, not the way the world would see the Savior to come. And then Isaiah 9, we get, we get a clearer vision. Nevertheless, the prophet says, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. The people of Israel, throughout their history, you read the Old Testament again and again and again. They have enemies from without that are tormenting, that are pillaging, that are capturing them and taking them into other lands that came from their own sin. That's why they, that's why they experienced that. But this is a nation that knows oppression. This is a nation that's very well acquainted with injustice and violence in their history. He says, in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations. Remember Galilee, we're going to come back to that. By the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness through so much of their history have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. There's a light coming. This deliverer moves. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. He says there's gonna, this deliverer is going to come and he's going to lift this oppression that these people have been experiencing for hundreds of years. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire this deliverer is going to take names. Then this is the part that we're more familiar with. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. This people had this great anticipation of this king that was going to come and was going to stop all of the oppression. No longer are nations going to come and plunder us. They're not going to drive us out of our country anymore. We're going to have a king that's supplanted forever who is going to bring peace on earth. We will never experience war. We will never experience injustice. We will never experience oppression again. That's their expectation. And what's incredible here, one of the first times 
the, in prophetic history, we see that this is not just a mere man coming to take David's throne and drive out Rome. He says he will be called Mighty God. The one that's going to come and deliver them is going to be God himself. God with us. The one that will crush the enemy's head and bless all families on earth is going to be God in the flesh. And, and, and I, I told you we were going to mention, remember Galilee. Jesus predominantly ministered in the area of Galilee. It's this area here at the northern part of, of Israel. What's unique about Galilee, it has a very violent, bloody history. When, when armies would invade, they'd come from the top, and they'd come from the north into Israel to, to go to war. And, and so they would, the first place they're going through, it, it was hemmed in by the, by the hills, mountain hills on one side and the sea on the other side. So they had to come right through this one narrow area. And so Galilee is this place that Ex- all, every time there's a war, they experience raping and pillaging and, and mass destruction. And then on the way back out of Israel, when the war was over, just as Galilee was kind of picking up the pieces and restoring things, the soldiers would come back through on their exit and burn everything back down to the ground. And the only thing scarier than an invading soldier is a retreating one who doesn't care. So, but it's this, this dark cursed place that becomes ground zero for the light of the world. Not a travel channel top 100 destination. But, it, but it's this place. This is not where we would have put our Savior to be born, to be raised, to do his ministry. But the, the end, the one who comes and eradicates injustice and oppression comes in the darkest place imaginable. So then we ask the question, well, how? How is he going to do this? How is he going to crush the head of Satan? How is he going to eradicate justice, injustice and oppression? How is he going to bless every family on earth? And this is, this is the incredible part. If, there's a, if there is a um, favorite prophecy of mine about the coming deliverer, it's in Isaiah 53. You can turn there with me. I'm, I'm just, I, just, I didn't even want to put it up on the screen. I just wanted to read it to us, let it overflow. It's about 12 verses, but I think it's so so worthwhile just to camp on this for a second and think of the deliverer who's coming and who came and what he did. Isaiah 53 reads like this, who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was crushed for our rebellion. He was crushed for He was punished for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter, and as a sheep silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. 
unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. We're looking at some of those this morning. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He, was, he bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels. See, the nation of Israel had an expectation. They said, we can't wait for this king to come and drive them out. I'm sick of the Babylonians. I'm sick of the Assyrians. I'm sick of the Romans. I'm sick of the Greeks. But what they didn't realize, what their expectation, where it became unmet, was that when this deliverer came, the first thing that needed to be eradicated was not the Romans. Because what did we say that was broken? It's the human heart. And the Savior came and said, yes, I'm going to free you. Yes, I'm going to remove injustice and oppression, but it starts with you. It's a hard restart in the soul of man. And that is not what they expected, and that is not what the people wanted to hear, and that's not what you and I want to hear today. The problem is us. But he came not with a sword, but he came bearing a cross. And he humbled himself, and he put on our flesh, walked our paths, paid for our sins to make the many righteous with his righteousness not a righteousness of our own and then the final prophecy i want us to look at is in matthew chapter one you think it it, this doesn't get much more clear than this the angel speaking to joseph says she mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name jesus because he will save his people from their sins now spoiler alert i know i know you didn't see this coming I know you're surprised this morning, but that savior, that head crusher, that blesser of all families, that eradicator of all oppression and injustice is Jesus. I know, I know. We're okay. But our right expectation, our redeemed anticipation is the hope of Jesus. And and I want you to hear me on this. You and I can never accomplish what Jesus did for us. You see, one of the central things that we need to see upside down is that our hope cannot be in ourselves. It must be in our Savior. My favorite hymn says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Because here's the problem. The things that Jesus can do, that Jesus has done, you and I can't do it. Like, we cannot crush the head of Satan. I don't care how much CrossFit you've been doing lately. I don't care how well you've been eating. You're vegan, whatever. It doesn't matter. 
I don't care how much you've been working out, how big your biceps are. We're not beating Satan. We cannot defeat sin. We cannot defeat death. There's only one man that can and one man that has. We can't bless every family on earth. We can't even bless our own families. Right? I mean, you can love somebody by the grace of God, but we can't transform somebody's heart. As parents, we can provide shelter and food and clothing for our children. We can, make, we can get moral behavior out of them, but we cannot change their hearts. We cannot shape their eternal destiny. Because the reality is, moral children with clean rooms will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Only ones with changed hearts, only ones with circumcised spirits will enter the kingdom of heaven. And there's only one who can change the heart of man. And finally, we can't eradicate injustice and oppression. You look around at what's happened these past weeks and months with ISIS and the terrorism that that surrounds us. Anyone in this room, none of us can stand up and stop that by ourselves. We do not have the power. And every time we, even if we could, even if we could stop the evil in this world, another one pops up. There's Nazi Germany, and then there's the Axis powers. And then there's Korea, and then there's Vietnam, and then there's the Middle East, then there's the Taliban, then there's ISIS, and it continues, and it continues, and it continues. You and I are not ushering peace onto this earth. The only legitimate peace that can come is through a heart transformation. And that can only be done by our Savior. What we can't do, Jesus can do, and Jesus did But here's the problem. When we see and we look at this and we see that we can't beat sin in our lives, when we can't uh, stop injustice, when we can't bless all peoples on earth, then what we do is we start looking forward to the next thing. We start chasing that carrot in front of us, thinking that that is what's going to save us. That is what's going to satisfy us. I mean, you look back at your life and you think, man, it was always the next thing. I just can't wait to get into high school everything's going to be great once I'm in high school. Well, I did that, and that didn't work. So then it's like, well, I just need to get my driver's license, then we'll be good to go. Not the case. I did, okay, well, high school didn't work, I just got to get into college. Okay, now I just got to get out of college, and then everything will finally be okay. That didn't work either. Okay, now I just, I got to find, you know, the one. Now I got to marry him. And, and, and okay, well, that didn't work. Well, then I got to get a job. It's a decent job, but I can't wait to have some kids in my life. Then things will be right. Still doesn't satisfy. Now I just need a promotion in my job so that I can afford these kids and my wife. That doesn't work. Well, now I just, then I can't wait until retirement. Then everything's going to be fine. I can go to, you know, Florida and golf. Still doesn't satisfy. Punting, punting, punting down the road of life, finding that nothing here will satisfy. Always chasing that glittery, sparkly thing in front of us. The problem is, this carrot that's dangling, we're running on a treadmill. And we never get closer. And even if we could reach out and grab that carrot, it wouldn't give us what we're hoping it would give us. Always on to the next thing. But the truth is, as we see in Scripture, it is only beyond the sun, not anything that lies here underneath of it, that we are going to find the solution to the broken human heart. What we need is the head crusher, the one who's blessed all families, the prince of peace. Because you and I, we are our own worst enemy. It's not the government. It's not our neighbor. It's not the dude that cut you off on the way to church on K Beach Road. Okay? It's us. 
But what happens is we don't recognize that. We blame everybody else, and then we think that we can be our own savior. But the truth is we make terrible saviors. We cannot unshackle ourselves from the sin that so easily dominates us. And if we're honest, many of us right now, we find ourselves enslaved to a specific sin in our lives. And oftentimes what happens is we have these two different lives going on. We have this one where we come, you know, we come to church, we're smiling, singing songs, we love the preaching, everything's good, everything's great. But then there's this whole other part of us that only one or two people know about, if anybody knows about it all. And that's the part that is being actively owned and dominated by sin. And I, I know this because I've been there. And then what happens is we buy into this ridiculous lie that we're controlling it. That we can just stop whenever we want. That we know there's this line that, that we can't cross, and, but we haven't crossed it yet. Don't worry, it's not that bad. I could back out of this whenever I wanted to. Everything's under control. But I ask you the question, how long have you been trying to stop? A year, or two, a decade or two, or more? Brother, sister, we're not in control. We're being controlled. We are being driven by that sin. And only this Savior, this one who was prophesied to come, can set us free from the hooks of sin that find themselves so deeply implanted into our lives. So here's here's what we need to do. I picture this season of Christmas. I was telling John this morning, it's like this, we're in fast-forward mode in this holiday season. And it's this fast-moving river of consumerism and, and lights and tinsel and trees and presents. And I am not at all saying that those things are bad. But what happens is we start to put our hope there. We start to put our expectations in those things. And what I want us to do this Christmas season together as a body is drop an anchor into that fast-moving river and stop. And I want us to look back and marvel Marvel and see that God, what God promised us, he has fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus. We have that hope today. We have that freedom from sin today. We need to fix our eyes on him and redeem that anticipation and see things right side up. See, this whole season, like we said, it's built around this expectation. We're just asking the question, how long until Christmas morning, right? Like, I remember being the kid, and, I, and some of this still lingers. Like, you're just counting down the days. We had a little bear that you'd move on the pin, and he gets closer to the living room where Christmas is, and we're just losing our minds. Like, the presents, you, once, once you saw some presents under this tree, game over, right? Like, what is that? We're shaking it. Like, can we figure out what it is? And you can't wait, and you're so pumped up. And then Christmas morning, there they all are. You're set free to open them. You're ripping open the boxes there's just piles of paper and bows and cardboard and you open up all the little toys and trinkets and it's this great time and then you kind of look around and you go hmm is that it like is there a more depressing day than december 26th like, it's all over and you're like okay well on the next thing like those toys and trinkets they'll make us happy for an hour or two but if we're setting our expectations our hope on that most of us, see, our anticipation needs to be redeemed so that we're looking forward not to Christmas morning, but to the second advent. He's coming back. 
But this time, he's not coming as a baby in swaddling clothes to start the kingdom. He's kind of come back as a savior, as a king, with a sword to consummate the kingdom. And it's not going to be shepherds on a hillside this time in frankincense and gold and myrrh. It it says that the sky is going to crack open, and he's going to come down, and he's going to judge the living and the dead. And those that are found not in Christ, it says that they are asking, begging for the mountains to fall on top of them. Imagine being in a scenario where a mountain falling on you is the better option. Most of us, we don't have our day-to-day anticipation set on that moment. And so we lead these silly lives. We're just chasing the wind. And if we really believed, if I, and I'm, I'm preaching this to myself, first and foremost, if I really believed Jesus could come back at any moment, that his return was just as certain as when he came the first time, I think it would radically change the way I live. I think I, my heart would be more dialed into the things that really matter for eternity. I think I would find the temporary things in my life would have a less of a hold on me. And I think I'd find more strength in him to find freedom from sin and the power to love. So let's look back and marvel. Let's set our faces forward in hope and anticipate not December 25th, but that day that no man knows, but that every man will experience when he comes back to claim his bride. Every knee will bow, but will we be the ones that love is returning? Let's pray. Father, it's so easy to get caught up in in what the world is doing and put our hope and our expectations in what the world is putting its hopes and expectations into. So Father, I pray this Christmas season that you would redeem our anticipation, redeem our, our anticipation and our expectation of what is to come. And the only thing that we would find worth celebrating ultimately, is the coming of your son. That he came, and he crushed the head of Satan, that he came to bless all families on earth, that he so loved the world, that he died so that none would perish, but that all would be given the opportunity for eternal life, that he's come to eradicate oppression and violence. That day is not today, but there is a day coming when every right, every wrong will be righted. When he will come back, he says, vengeance is mine. We look forward to that day, God, because we know on that day we need not fear. We need not pray for the mountains to fall upon us because we belong to you. If there are those in this room that don't have that hope, Father, I pray that they would dial in their hearts to the Prince of Peace and know that he is the only hope. We make terrible saviors of our own, but there is one who came and bore our sins, took our place, is our hope. May we put our hope and trust in him. And Father, We pray that as we walk forward into this season, that we can enjoy it, that we can jam out on the iPod with all the Christmas songs and buy each other gifts and have have this marvelous time of family and fun and fellowship. But all of that is only meaningful if it's in the context of what you are doing in our hearts and in this world. May we be taken with the person of Jesus and that through him we would have right expectation and see things upside down. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.